it's my great pleasure to, uh, to have Julian on screen with me right now, Julian Adams, and Julian and I have been friends a long time. Um, we first back in, uh, met back in 2004, Julian, do you remember that day? In, no, back in, in amazing meetings Nusenberg, in South Africa. Woo, they were some meetings we had together, eh? Yeah, Carl was with us. Oh, absolutely. So at that stage, you were uh, part of the leadership team of uh, the Bay Church in Musenberg, Cape Town, wasn't it? That was that right? And leading the youth team. Yeah. And um, my daughter was doing a gap year out there, daughter Kerry, and then she uh, she made sure we met, which was the beginning of a great friendship, which uh, carries on to this day. So um, and why don't you just introduce yourself for the folks watching on Julian? Tell us where you are now and, and a little bit about yourself. So, yeah, I am based now in um, Boston, in the U.S. with my wife, Katya. We lead uh, what's called Frequency, which is a kind of prophetic, um, reformative ministry, um, really impacting into different spheres of society, as well as my wife is leading a church plant into the city of Boston, um, literally just uh, nearly two months old now. Um, and so it's very fresh, massive transition from South Africa over the last year into the U.S. And feeling like God's put us here just at the right time. Got two little kids who are incredibly um, busy. Ezekiel, who is four years old, and Evangeline, who's three years old. Um, and so we really are a family uh, on mission together. Seeing God do some wonderful things, seeing the kingdom come in the most extraordinary ways. So, so just two months in, effectively, to a church plan. That's uh, it's exciting days, eh? Two months in, we've got twenty plus people who are gathering regularly. Um, we uh, just loving what God's doing. The city of Boston is a great city, um, and uh, we're trusting to really connect into what God's already doing in the city. There's so many things people have spoken about the New England area as the place where there's silent revival happening. Because okay. um, so many people are responding to the goodness of God, but um, many of them not finding the kind of communities that they could thrive in. So we're hoping to add to what God's already doing yeah, in this region. So, uh, yeah, really excited. And you've, you've, you and I have talked about this for a length of time. It's not just this one, but over the course of years, the sort of how we'd love to see churches created that, that make great disciples and reach out into the world with, you know, good news of the kingdom and demonstrate the love and power of God. And I guess, so you've got, there'll be core principles that you're building around. Do you just want to sort of mention those ones? Yeah, I'll give you a few core principles. We're actually just going through this at the moment. I think the first big one for us is um, being an audacious people and uh, using the word audacious in the right sense of the word, expecting the unusual intervention of God's provision, kindness, overwhelming uh, breakthroughs and asking him big for those things. Uh, we really believe it is the privilege of sons and daughters to um, engage with their father and ask big. And so that's what we're doing for the city. Um, obviously, there are numbers of things like generosity, uh, uh, freedom, uh, being open. Uh, we really are wanting to establish a community that is based around belonging before behaving. So that as people engage with this alternative society, this alternative community of God's people in the world, that actually what they find is incredible warmth and grace, um, and they find the father running to them. They don't find the older brother at the door of the church, um, but a kind father. 
Yeah, and it's beautiful. So the Father Heart stuff, and like you say, unfortunately, a lot of people's experience of Christianity is is the the older brother from the parable of the, the prodigal son, which is 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 not a fun experience, is it? Not exactly welcoming or gracious. So. Um, you're, 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 you're establishing something on a sort of foundation of grace and, but also an expectation of, of God's intervention powerfully and you said you've already been experiencing miracles, is that right? Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, we're convinced of is that the use of our intellect and engaging with uh, society, culture in a kingdom worldview must actually come with a demonstration of power. It cannot just be... Um, you know, wise words, it must be a demonstration of the love of God through power. And uh, so we're loving that. We've seen some incredible breakthroughs, uh, both financially, but again, finding ourselves being able to prophesy over individuals, being able to speak to people um, who are sitting going back, what on earth is this? I don't have a framework for this, but meeting and encountering Jesus. Um, even just last night, having some of our neighbors over who, um, are not, uh, we're not quite sure where they are spiritually. And I can see they're trying to make sense. Why are you guys so much fun, full of grace, full of freedom, but you represent to us what we've seen in religion and restraint and um, just grumpiness, really, at the end of the day. Um, and so it's been fun seeing God do that um, and uh, just in our ministry, seeing just hearing stories, even just, I think maybe two or three weeks ago, hearing stories of a, a young lady who had severe skin problems, um, literally just watching a video clip of us talking about how God is healing skin problems and instantly, a, I think it was nearly five years of severe acne that were cause scarring, completely disappeared and she got completely healed. Um, and so I'm loving how the power of God is interfacing, particularly in a city like Boston that is, known for its intellect and for being uh, so-called liberal and progressive, then right at that intersection, uh, we're trusting for God's power to break in and to refine and redefine what it looks like uh, to engage a culture here. Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I think, you know, I think you've got those those two wings of Christianity, have you, which is sort of an intellectual wing and an experiential wing, and people's a bit suspicious of one or other, but actually... Christianity is, 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 is not just one of those things. It, it's, it, <clears throat> Christianity is an experience of the living God, but it's also actually something that stimulates our minds. It gives us understanding because actually God's a pretty bright guy and he, he likes to share himself with us and you know, he reveals himself to us. And uh, I, I guess you know, if we look back again in, in our history, you and I did a lot of work together in, in France. Um, and that's yeah, probably yeah. one of the ways where we... We, we worked hard together crafting something, trying to build you know, great churches and, and churches that work together and network together. And um, probably over the course of about 10 years, we worked hard to do that. And that was a, that was a great time of working together. And I would say very successful. What, what, what are your recollections of those times back there? You know, I think, um, I think there's something beautiful about the apostolic and the prophetic setting culture in any context. And I think... Um, you know, my recollections of going to France um, and seeing God do some just extraordinary things. I just, I'm remembering of the fruit of that in terms of young people who are encountering God, um, you know, older people or more mature people, should I say, feeling called to plant and just doing things all because, A, I, I feel like 
the first thing that, that we went after was establishing a culture of freedom in which Holy Spirit could be who he is um, and allowing him to bring illumination, allowing him to encounter people. Um, you know, I think that was incredible. I think the, the other thing that I think we really pressed after was um, a over-exaggeration of God's goodness. Because <laughs> I, I feel like so many people have lived with such a high level of disappointment that they dare not believe God's actually that good. Um, and I think, you know, some of the things that we press into, particularly in teaching around a framework of the grace of God, of um, living as sons in freedom, uh, helped establish something and shift something. And I think the intercession, the prayer, the worship um, broke through into an atmosphere that at times felt a little bit oppressive. Um, and it wasn't because of a particular people group. It was just because I... I think uh, some of the church dynamic uh, had been so governed by legalism and heavy control and making sure everything was in its box. And uh, it was fun breaking some of those boxes and seeing God roll in and people coming into the guest and going, I can do this. This is not, I don't need to think of myself smaller. I do not need to try and make myself less. I get to be who I am because the culture of, um, for lack of a better phrase, apostolic grace was established. Hmm. Yeah, I think that was, you know, looking back, there were, there were definitely things where we had to uh, combat strongholds, strongholds in culture. Yeah, Every yeah. culture has, has strongholds, you know. The UK certainly does, America does, South Africa does, France. Every, every, every nation has its, has its strongholds. And, and identifying them was, and then, then resisting those strongholds and if like, demolishing strongholds was run, one of the keys to, to, to creating freedom, isn't it? Because... Obviously, the, we've got an enemy who wants to rob us of freedom and make us practice religion rather than enjoy God and all, all sorts of things like that. And um, so I guess you and I stood, you know, side by side, you know, resisting the devil. And, and it does say, actually, if you resist him, he will flee from you. And um, I remember that one event, it was, we used to be part of what was called Rendezvous Bible Week. And, um, and uh you and I were thrust together in that because uh, our good friend Simon Pettit was going to be um, the speaker of that, and, but unfortunately he died very premature death earlier that year. So you and I were thrust together into into something, and um, I remember one of the first evenings that when the, we, we had a whole family meeting. Do you remember? And I had the, the young kids and the teenagers and everybody, and then and God fell upon the sort of seven or eight year olds in the most extraordinary way. That I'm not sure. I've ever experienced before, where they literally on their, their faces on the floor in, in the dirt of a, a tent in the south of France, weeping and repenting of their, their sin as, as the power of might of God came upon them. And it was, it was a breakthrough moment, wasn't it? I just remember it so precisely. I thought, well, God really moved in power. And I think that helped us actually establish something at that point. Do you remember it? Yeah, totally. You know, I, one of the things I love about even ministry to children is that the posture of receiving the kingdom is to be childlike. Mm. And I just remember, you know, I can see faces even now and see some of what God was doing in some of those young people's lives and uh, the sense of the presence of God and the holiness of God in that context, even seeing some of those young people getting gold dust on their hands and just the presence of God in an unusual way packing in on them. And, and I think it was a sign and a wonder for um, a lot of the, the 
the adults in the room. They were kind of what's going on. And I find it fascinating because obviously we were in in the south of France, which is the land of the the Huguenot revival. And actually one of the hallmarks of that revival was kids encountering the presence and the power of God. And it was almost like God resurrected and opened a well again of encounter. It was it was incredible. It was just amazing seeing um I, I yeah I can I can name names even now seeing them just weep under the incredible sense of God's presence um, on them. It was beautiful, really yeah. amazing. Some of those young people have passed through some incredible schools of ministry, like at Bethel and a few other places, just now doing things for God, which is incredible. Yeah, so if we go on the number of years, it, it was, and then, yeah, we, so one of the things you talked about was actually the, the you know, apostles and prophets working together, and I guess that's one of the things we, we're learning to in the church is not to be frightened of those um, gifts and actually being able to, to, to mention those gifts without <gasps> everybody taking a sharp intake of breath, oh, the apostle or the prophet. And just, I think it's something we're trying to sort of put in place in church life is actually that these are gifts of, of people, men and women, um, who have a particular gift of God to help create the, the culture of heaven on earth. And um, I think we, we're trying to break them out of a sort of a hierarchical mould of thinking where these are, have to be the amazing superstars who stand on some amazing podium to, to be given a title of apostle or prophet. And so I think that's one of the things, and I you know, recognise that gift that you have as, as a prophet um, from well, the first time I met you and, and my delight to work alongside you in that regard. In that regard. And you know, I, I've learned to actually um, be able to talk about my own gift. I know, I know God made me to be an apostle, um, and I've learned to to handle that. Well, I think without thinking about it as a label or anything like that. But it's that, that's that's one of the things I think we're trying to re-establish in church life, isn't it? Totally. I I feel like um, you know, with the advent of God restoring these gifts since the eighties or early seventies, really, in terms of uh, church history in a, a kind of more contemporary expression. Um, I think one of the greatest confusions is that we've equated numerical success as the gift of an apostle rather than cultural transformation um, as actually what, what brings about heaven on earth. What does it look like for an infusing of the power of God into any given context or culture rather than just the church numbers you plant or build. Um, and I feel like um, God is restoring a healthy view of what it means to recognize gift, because what you recognize you receive from, um, in, in a way that is both focused in the way of Jesus, in terms of humility, he's our great apostle, but also in terms of the dynamic expression of of the demonstration of the kingdom of God. You know, everywhere Paul and the early apostles went, there was a clash of culture. There was a demonstration of the kingdom. Um, and I fear that what we've done in church ministry, uh, certainly in what I think is contemporary church ministry today, is maybe adopted principles um, that mimic our culture rather than transform the culture with heaven. And I think God's restoring apostolic ministry in a way that is going to find hearts. I, I do feel like um, the next season will be less about um, apostolic networks and more about connecting apostolic hearts um, and, and learning from different apostolic homes and cultures together. 
for the sake of, of establishing a witness, a living witness of Jesus on the earth, not just a stagnant, um, you know, boring expression, but actually a dynamic expression. Because ultimately, the role of the apostolic and the prophetic, indeed any of the gifts, uh, ministries to bring us into full stature of Christ-likeness, uh, so we represent him well. Yeah. Now, again, just that bit in Ephesians, a couple of places it talks about the apostles and the prophets together, and that, that's something that I've been thinking about studying for a few years now, you know, Ephesians 2, you know, the church is on, yes, on the foundation yes. of the apostles and prophets, but then in Ephesians 3, it talks about that God reveals his, his mysteries to the apostles and prophets, and, um, and I think... I think for too long we've actually had them sort of separated out as the apostles over here and the prophets over there. And I think we've tended to think that the, you know, we've talked a lot about apostolic foundations and I think we talk about prophetic revelation. But actually if you read that book, in, read the bits in Ephesians there, it says foundations of apostles and prophets and actually mysteries revealed to apostles and prophets. And one of these things we're working at is the synergy of, of, of the gifts. And, and not just those two, but you know, the, the evangelist, pastor and teacher as well. But I think that's one of the things I appreciate so much about my friendship with you is, is we, were, we were thrust together in friendship, not, not, not because we recognise a gift in one another, but actually God sort of stirred something in us and then we were able to flow in that without... without we're not, we weren't looking for positions and titles. We were just you know, Julian and Pete trying to do stuff together and, and those gifts... Yeah. Comp- I love the way that your gift complemented mine. I think mine complemented yours and actually we're able to find that together they were, we were able to do far more together than we would have done individually, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Pete, I think it's, it's such an uh, insightful comment. I think that when you look at every, um, every apostolic expression of advance and breakthrough in the New Testament, it was always preceded by some kind of uh, revelation, heavenly encounter, prophetic um, moment, not necessarily given to prophets always, but given to Peter as he has this moment that opens up to the Gentile world. Paul, for the numbers of years that he spent in uh, the desert of Arabia, receiving from Jesus himself, um, you know, activists bringing specific um, prophetic insight to help shape um, what was going to be happening during a season of drought. I think those things are really important for us to understand that what the church is built around is not immovable um, ideology, but it's built on the revelation of Jesus and his anointing and who he is. And so we have to have our ear close to Holy Spirit so that he is building the foundations and the depth of those foundations and the the um, dynamic and the architecture has to be done by him. And I think apostles and prophets should carry a grace to help discern that architecture. Mm. And I also think I love the fact that, that it's plural, isn't it? That there's apostles, yeah, yeah. plural, and prophets, plural. And, and yeah, absolutely. Again, I think we've had such a high view of, of the gift of a, an apostle or a prophet that they say, whoa, if there's one, that's a rarity. So, you know, they're up there on some pedestal as a one. And like with a prophet, and I know I know from past experience, you've had the experience of being pulled out as the prophet, here's the prophet, and on, do your prophecy, and off you go. And it's, it's, you know, in a very singular sort of, we'll make use of you in that gift way with that. Yeah, yeah. Which wasn't much fun, was it? So um... No, and, and I appreciate the fact that 
often in our kind of um, apostolic gatherings where I couldn't speak any French, um, I, was, I was able to communicate this. And this is the thing, you are the gift. It's not just that you carry revelation, you are the gift. And so sometimes when you're doing prophetic speak, there are moments. And I, I think one of the things that it is helpful is when we learn to discern the moments, sometimes even when the prophetic is just simply speaking because of who they are. And there's something that you know that point right there is a directive. We need to follow that. And I think um, you know we learned how to do some of that together in terms of trying to figure ah God's on that conversation. Well, God's on that prophetic revelation. Let's run with that. And I think we need some more of that. I I totally confirmed. Certainly for me, I just turned 42 this last year, and um, I'm now nearing middle age apparently. Uh, one of the things God has spoken to me about is multiplying the gift of prophet. So not just multiplying those who can prophesy, but actually multiplying gifts that then get to work with the emerging swell. And I believe it is emerging and it is going to be big of multiply apostolic and prophetic ministries. Um, and so certainly for me, the rest of my um, ministry life, I want to give myself to seeing at least another hundred prophets who get to do what I do and more. Um, hmm. Hopefully Beautiful. a lot, lot more. Yeah. And again, here at Eastgate, then one of the things I've been working at is, is the recognition of, of, of apostles. You know, they are resident within the church, but and to be able to actually nurture that gift and actually... Um, it's just a thing of recognizing it without making it something that sort of superstardom, but say this gift. And, um, and also with the prophets, and we're working on that, actually thinking. And it's my conviction that, that if they're that important to the church, though, they're foundational and that's where the revelation, that, that they can't be that rare, that God would not um, build his church on, on, on a paucity or a rarity of gifting. And so, and I think one of the problems we've had is because of this sort of hierarchical thinking, it's very difficult to, to recognise that gift in people and nurture it sometimes if they feel they're being suddenly held up here. And um, I remember here at Eastgate talking um, with some of the leaders here and, and saying, I, rec- I was starting to recognise, you know, sort of a, an early apostolic gift within, within a, a young man. And they said, oh! and I said, hold on a minute, I'm not saying he's a leader. I'm just saying that there's a difference between leadership gift and an apostolic gift. I said, you know, he, but he has a gift that is, is you know, basically when, when around him, heaven was breaking out. That's how you recognise it. Yeah. Uh, and people say, oh, because they immediately thought, well, oh, but, but, you know, do we have to make him a leader? Well, we don't. It's it, that ability to recognise the, if you like, the, the young and immature gifting within people and, and, and pull it forward. I think that's a, that's a, that's a fantastic thing. And, but it, there's, there's this problem we have in there with, within the culture of Christianity of, of hierarchical thinking and putting them up ahead, which actually makes it very difficult to nurture people correctly. It's like, it's like trying to make your... Uh, four-year-old and three-year-old, 14 and 13, you know, overnight. Yeah, yeah. you think was a silly idea. Well, you know, it, it's the model of incarnation, isn't it? The, the reality is Jesus never ceased to be God, even though he walked in humility. Um, and I think sometimes we we get so nervous around going, this person has a gift. He, he's, he's incarnating something of a grace gift. That does not mean that he needs to be over someone or, you know, at the top of some kind of organizational permit. It just means he gets to serve in humility and extend what it looks around him. And I think it is because we've adopted power systems of the world as the model for the church. 
rather than genuine community of the spirit, uh, there's always an insecurity and threat that then begins to establish itself. And one of the things we're trying to do in our community is getting rid of even the terminology of I'm over you or I, um, you know, this is my people or what any of the kind of terminology that I've been here, having grown up in church, um, then hold on that. Yeah, Jesus is very clear. The way the Gentiles do it is not the way you're to do it. You're not to lord over your people. Um, and, and feeling what it looks like to be amongst people. And, and that means we're experimenting. We're totally, this is going to be a glorious experiment where um, it does not mean the lack of recognition. Um, it does not mean that we miss out the gift and grace of leadership. But what it does mean is that we, we understand what it means to be powerful community together. Um, and recognizing those gifts. With Katya and I were just chatting around, do we want to call people pastors? Because I think one of the cultural dynamics in America seems to me that everyone is called a pastor. But what if they're not? Um, we need to recognize the grace of God and so we can receive that. Um, and, and so we're, we're, we're processing this very same thing right at the formulation of this community. Like, well, how do we recognize grace gifts? Um, without making it hierarchical and positional, but at the same time, not trying to fudge it by calling everyone pastor. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's a great experiment to be on. I, I, I love it. And I think, so you've got an experiment. And I, I, I've talked with your beautiful wife, um, Katya, about this as well. You know, we, she came and spoke at Eastgate. She was phenomenal, by the way. And we, so we love it a bit. So do say hello to her for us. And, um, will, definitely. <laughs> but... Um, this whole thing about building equality, and also so she's written a good book on on this as well. So, so, and equality is a much bigger deal than just the male female thing. We're saying actually equality of recognition of gifts that apostles not not superior and you know, a first is a first is a, simply a functional reality. Yeah. So that you're and I, my conviction is that the to have a truly free people, we have to have a truly equal people because actually if there's inequality, then there's not freedom of expression of the gifts in the in all their fullness. Um, and I guess that's one of the things I'm, I'm again exploring a little bit with you because I think that understanding of equality and and freedom they go hand in hand and actually that the two sort of almost I think start to build something very beautiful where where everybody's able to attain to all that God's called them to. So, uh, what's your thinking around those two sort of things at the moment? Yeah, I think you know again I, I feel like we're on this glorious experiment with Jesus trying to figure this out, but I, I feel like for for Katya and I in our marriage, because that's the simplest way in our family, is the simplest form of community. Um, we're trying to work this one out in terms of how do we do marriage, how do we do parenting, in which my four-year-old is as powerful as the dad. We don't we we believe Jesus is the head of our home. Um, so it's a very different dynamic around what we actually mean by headship, what we actually mean by um submit to one another and uh, we're convinced that we have to ask this, the question what's best for our family right now and I think that's a good question to ask in the kingdom because the dynamic expression of kingdom culture is found in family and that means we're doing this dance for one another in which at certain moments what Ezekiel needs is going to be more important than what I need so I will submit to that and there will be other moments what Katya needs is going to be more important than what um, Evangeline needs. And we're going to work as a family to that. And that way we're recognizing where we are in the season of our lives. We're recognizing who we are, what is needed, 
and the unique attributes that makes us who we are. Um, and rather than trying to dominate by a one-size-fits-all, we're going, how do we do this? Uh, perichorosis is the word, talking about the gods of the Trinity. How do we do this around one another in order to promote one another, love one another, prefer one another, which are all biblical principles in the culture of family and kingdom? Hmm. And I think when you do that, it makes it less about the position you carry it makes less about the quote-unquote authority that you have and more about what we get to do for each other in this context of family. And I think that's one of the things we wanted to emulate in church. What does genuine kingdom family look like? I find it fascinating that God models this in the most incredible way by taking on flesh and incarnating. He, he gets down low and dirty as it were. Uh, into the dirt and mire of humanity in order to redeem because he knows what's best for the family. Yeah. Um, and he could have held position. He could have, there, there's so many things God could have done to solve the problem, but the way he does it is in this incredibly um, humble way. And I feel like there's something about that for us that we have to get right. Hmm. That's beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful, beautiful, and uh, I enjoyed doing. I enjoyed having a chat with you about all these sorts of things because we've yeah, knocked yeah. a lot of this round for years, haven't we? And again, we've all we've come through all sorts of experience, and we've learned through them all, and, and appreciate a lot of the that journey on the road. We've, we've made our own mistakes, and we've learned from them. But um, can I just go back to one thing? So you, basically, I, I love that you just you, you want to leave a legacy behind of, of you know at least a hundred prophets who you've actually helped to sort of train, um, enable, liberate, whatever you like. So, so how are you going about that? What, what's, what's the sort of steps towards that? How do you see that working out? So I think um, I'm convinced that the best moments happen in the context of community. Um, and, uh, you know, community is looking very different in a COVID reality. Um, we've just launched um, a school called Vox Day School which um, basically is my attempt at working this out. And part of that is taking 15 um, individuals that I will personally mentor over the next 12 weeks and building a community of prophets together uh, in terms of having access and establishing truth. Um, I think one of the big, um, if I could be so bold, one of the big critiques that I have of the current prophetic move um, and I'm including myself in this, is that we have downplayed what it means to um, understand sonship, and we have overplayed the need for high-level, accurate, prophetic words or directive words. And what we've done is we've created a culture in which there's a dependency upon one voice in any given community rather than helping understand that we get to discern the mind of God together. That, that's what uh, the, the Bible tells us in Corinthians, that we have the mind of Christ extending community. And so I want to invest into people both in terms of um, the skill set of the prophetic gift, but also the worldview of the prophetic gift, what it means to be a son, what it means to represent the king and the kingdom. And I think that um, the kingdom of God is not Christian culture. It's not, um, I'll throw this in just for fun, it's not about simply predicting who's going to be the next president or not. It's about seeing heaven's perspective, engaging 
in a kingdom government and reality and releasing that on the earth so that you displace principalities and powers and you release kingdom in regions. And I, I'm praying for prophets who are going to be raised up as a result who have an ability to shift something over a region, not just in one context. And I, I, I feel like I've touched on this in certain uh, seasons of my life, but I feel like there's something about we need to establish something in this next season that looks a lot more like like kingdom prophets. And so I'm giving myself to that. Um, we're having, a, you know, this is our first go. I've trained up uh, four or five prophetic people along the way, as it were, in terms of who I will call prophets now. Um, uh, but I want to be more intentional in this next season around that. And you're doing that online or person to person? Online, voxdayschool.com. Um, it's all online. We're actually going live today. Um, for the first run, which is amazing. So at the time of this recording, it would have been um, a, a week or so. I don't know how long you guys have been doing this. But anyway, we're really excited about that. Um, we're so feeling like there's something of a grace on that. And I, I'm personally trusting uh, for prophets of grace, new covenant prophets, to be raised up out of this season. So Vox Day School, V-O-X Day School? Yeah, V-O-X. Okay. Sounds, sounds fun. Oh, well done on yeah, that. Fine. We're so excited. We, we've got, we've, I think we've got nearly 80 plus students already, so it's going to be loads of fun to see that established. Wow. Okay. That's good. So I'll do, I'll do 15 intentional and then it's a broader um, clear okay. people coming. So. Okay, that's good. Well, and just again, for, for viewers watching this, just to say that, you know, my experience of Julian's uh, prophetic gift into my own life, but also in Eastgate, has actually been absolutely foundational on certain things. So in 2004, you brought a prophetic word to our church that we would become have a Joseph anointing, you know, and actually build, gather resources and feed the nations. And, and that has uh, directed us and still does to this day about what we're doing. And actually we're amazed at <laughs> how many people turn up at Eastgate's doorstep to come and, you know, <clears throat> get from our resources and it's our delight we say it's our delight to, to pack their bags and send them on their way you know because God's given us so much and and another one that actually we were um, uh, commenting on with you actually earlier well probably also earlier this year you know time's a bit of a blur at the moment isn't it was uh, was about how you prophesied into our media situation um, a year or so ago and then that, that actually came to be into being actually just in the earlier part of this year and that has been so important for us actually during this COVID reality because <laughs> what we're doing with media and then even this sort of stuff is, is if we hadn't got ourselves prepared um, through that, then we wouldn't be able to be able to do all we've done during this COVID reality. But um, so that I just want to, you know, I'm commending you publicly, Julian, as a, as a friend, but also as, as a prophetic voice. And you do get to travel around the world as well, don't you, you know, with your ministry and stuff like that. So it's not as if you're just sort of building a little thing at home. And um, you've got quite a world view, haven't you, on this? And I, I'd just be interested to know, you know, not what you're prophesying about, no, but what, what, do you, what, do you get, what do you get a feel of what's happening in the world and what, what's your senses around that at the moment? It's, it's, it's a very strange time, isn't it? It, it is. It really is a strange time. I um, When COVID hit... I was probably one of the, I don't think there's any other prophet I know who's done this. I went public and said, I have no clue what God is doing um, because I really didn't. And I'm glad I did because I think retrospectively, uh, you get a lot more out of the prophetic than always predictably. Uh, and so we understand who Jesus is through retrospectively seeing prophetic promises come to pass. And that provides platform 
for uh, what we get to do in terms of our life in Christ. And when I began to look retrospectively over words that I brought over individuals and churches like you guys and in numbers of other places, there were phrases or words that I'd spoken publicly talking about this time, um, which was, you know, unbelievable. I remember I was in, in Dallas, Texas, talking about God is about to shift in a new era that's going to shift the way we do church completely, and we're going to have to be prepared for that. And that was in, I think, in February or January, um, uh, literally just before COVID hit, and um, just things like that. And I think what that has done is provided a certainty for me that not only does God know the future, which we know intellectually, but actually God is indicating uh, through what he has already said that he's got this season um, and that actually we're going to come up on the other side with an incredible um, opportunity. And leaning on that word about era, you know, eras are different from seasons. Seasons are timed moments that happen in rhythms and patterns, but an era is defined by a moment that sets a new reality uh, for people. And so the industrial era was by a moment of discovery around industry and machinery that set a whole new dynamic and accelerated things. And I feel like we are in that season and looking at numbers of churches and numbers of contexts where there's actually been incredible increase um, and momentum rather than decrease. Um, I, I do feel like God is inviting us in this as what you're to reimagine what we are to look like as the people of God. And uh, the thinking that got us where we are till now is not going to take us where we need to be. Hmm. And I feel like what what this invitation is uh, in terms of God using a clearly demonic pandemic, um, it's not his will, it's not his design, but what his intention is through this season is that we get to um, reimagine and redefine how we engage uh, at a kingdom level, um, I feel like God is wanting to shake the, the church up around um, bringing back a healthy eschatology, a healthy understanding of the kingdom, uh, so that we're not escapists. Um, and you just need to Google and Facebook, you'll see that there is a loud shout for an escapism. Hmm. But actually, the reality is God's calling us to be a very present voice in this next season that help redefine who we are. And I just think about the numbers of people I'm meeting on my day-to-day walking who are lonely, who are needing encounter. Um, and when we get to, to shape that, when we get to uh, speak hope, when everyone else is speaking hopelessness, uh, it, we become, I think it's Eric Johnson who made this great statement, the one who has the most hope in the room has the loudest voice in that room. And I feel like that's where the church needs to settle, despite what we're seeing on a political level, despite what we're seeing in increasingly polarization of views and thoughts, not just in America, but across uh, a number of contexts in Europe, in South Africa, in England, where the aim of the enemy is to bring a polarization. I believe the church is to be the voice of hope and clarity in this next season. Yeah. Very good. It's interesting. I, I was, I'm just recalling something. And I'm preaching at Eastgate this Sunday, and I'm going to mention it. But um, 
I had a strange experience because during Christmas and New Year, I normally spend time with God, you know, just thinking a review of the year, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time to, okay, and God, what are you saying for this coming year? And, you know, and when you're leading a church, obviously you, you, you have to sort of say, right, where, where are we? Where, where, where are we going? Set in the direction, you know, elders direct the affairs of the church, so there's a direction. And, and uh, I had a really strange experience. Between Christmas and New Year, God said to me, I don't want you to make any plans. And I thought, well, how am I going to communicate that to the church? <laughs> it was really strange. He said, and then he said, because um, your plans would just be too small. Oh, oh. Now, now, if you if you take that now and you, you look back sort of the nine months of that and you say, don't make any plans, you think, oh, that was smart advice because of COVID. Do you see what I mean? Because obviously, you no know, holiday plans, whatever plans you had, that, you know, it just, but God didn't say it because COVID. He said, actually, because your plans would be too small. So I'm, I'm saying that this is actually, this is an extraordinary preparation time for us to be going into the, the more than we could ever ask or imagine moment, which I, I believe is, is, a, is ahead of us. But if you've never asked it or imagined it, you can't think what it is. <laughs> and I think what you're saying is, 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 is going to be different. Um, so we, we, we're going to need the wisdom of God the, you know, to actually help us understand this, this new era, this time. And I think that's where you know apostles, prophets, and all working together. But it's and one of the other things I'm saying is, is I've, I found that there's a lot of people who say, "Well, what's God saying?" But they're forgetting actually the Bible says a lot. Yeah, the Bible, yeah. the Bible, the Bible's got a lot to say. And um, the voice of sanity, Pete. <laughs> oh, so so we're making sure people plug into scriptures. So some people are saying to me, "What's the church going to look like after this?" I said, "Well, so well, there's a basic reality that it will. Its, it's job remains the same, which is to make disciples." You know, and and to spread the good news of the kingdom everywhere. So now we might be doing that in different ways, but both, but basically there, there's going to be you know we have a same mission. It's ongoing, but God's actually just re refocusing us a little bit. There's I find that there's quite a lot of stuff going on about um, small group. You know, is it small group or is it big group? And I say, well, you know, the Bible. I think biblical history tells you that you have a you have a you have, you have a big crowd of people that have have small smaller gatherings, you know, and small is always yeah, yeah. meant to grow to big. It's like you're starting with twenty two. It's not you say this is going to be beautiful forevermore. It's actually this is if this is healthy, it will grow. So, so there's certain things I think that that, that don't change. The church, healthy churches will grow. They'll then they'll create create disciples. But for you and I, we want to make sure that all these disciples are, are discipled in freedom, not what what I call Christian slavery. You know, it, so they're actually enable to be all that they're meant to be and also then change the world not just do church gatherings that's the kingdom stuff actually we are here to transform the world aren't we so absolutely we're, we're living in the best season yet i'm so excited it's very it's very yeah it's very, I'm, I'm i'm strangely excited i'm also well i'm, I'm being honest i'm a bit tired of, of the the circumstantial stuff because you know you know, here in the UK again, we thought, oh, okay, and we've just been told, right, get yourself ready. You know, this is going to go on for another six months. You're thinking, yes, yes. Ooh, okay, okay, get yourself. But for me, I've been thinking, um, particularly in Hebrews 12, where it talks about God disciplines his sons. So one of the things, you know, is, is often not taught in the father heart stuff is actually there's a discipline. Now, yeah, discipline yeah. comes from the word disciple, which means to be taught and trained. So if you say actually God teaches and trains his sons and daughters and oh that's that's so that word discipline is, is is actually has a negative connotation sometimes doesn't it but actually no yeah, actually yeah. We're, we're in we're in the classroom we're in the training period 
Um, and, and it goes on in Hebrews to say it's not, it's not very pleasant at the time, but later, later on, you get the harvest of righteousness and peace. And I, yeah, think we're in a, I think we're in a Hebrews 12 moment where God is training us and teaching us for the future. And the, the present is, is a bit tough to pass through, but later on it says, but it actually says for those who, who are trained by it. I think it's those who allow themselves to be trained by the process. And I'm not sure everybody is, is allowing themselves to be trained by it. And, and then for those who allow themselves to be under God's training, then later on there's this harvest, and it's interesting, it's peace and righteousness, and we're, we're looking at Isaiah 60 and 61 at the moment, and those, those come up about as governors of us, and, um, and that understanding of what righteousness means, I think, is something that will be in the new era. I, I just think we're getting away from the, the ultimate accolade of Christianity is forgiveness, um, <laughs> but, we actually enter into the righteousness, which is the full standing of God. And I think there's a big, a big thing that needs to be uh, discovered and uncovered in, in that realm. So, yeah, um, yeah, totally. So, um, Julian, one of the things I've just said, I've said to you, is, is you know, anything that you're, anything bubbling in you? Because basically, you're, you know, we've got individuals and churches looking at this. We've got, um, you know, we're very clear. And I, I know you do the same as this. We're, we're trying to create churches which have. Uh, freedom and grace as, 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 a, as a core value. We're talking about building beachheads for freedom, like the, the D-Day beaches. You know, we know what it is to fight for continents, for their for their uh, freedom. Um, so, have you got anything that's bubbling in you? Sort of, uh, and it doesn't have to be a prophetic word, but you know, thoughts or stuff, or that you'd like to share with us as we sort of draw this towards a close. Yeah, I I feel specifically for. Um, the English and European churches in terms of this next season, I I feel like there's something of God wanting to say and wanting to dazzle you again. Um, and by that, I mean the, the sense of awe that is caught up particularly in worship and particularly in um, an undivided attention. And I, I feel like there is something of a fresh way of, worship coming from both uh, England and Europe. I feel like there's some songs that God, you know, in in the season of 94, um, the, the European, uh, in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto, the, the European worship will set the tone for worship by and large um, in numbers of nations. And I feel like there's something of a fresh wineskin coming for collaboration with churches and movements that is going to release a fresh new song. Um, and, and I feel like the reason is, is because uh, there is going to be a fascination again in the, um, in the souls of people who have not met God around the otherness of who God is. And I feel like this is a season to lean in, in the areas of worship, particularly and evangelism. And I feel like even in terms of online opportunities and Elsa, things like that, it's going to be a significant, uh, people are going to see significant momentum and growth through that. Um, and so I, I feel like there's a fresh call to the, um, as it were, the bridal paradigm again of undivided attention toward Jesus. And that is going to redefine some of the work of the Spirit in terms of evangelism. Um, uh, in, in Europe. And so, yeah, I, I feel like this there's a definite um, tipping point season that, that the church is in worldwide. And I feel like um, 
what's in the church is going to be tipped out, as it were. And so I feel like there's this sense of God saying, I'm wanting a fresh season of devotion that is going to birth new songs. Um, I think Catherine Scott just recently uh, released an album. She's a, a worship leader out of Northern Ireland, but now based in America. And again, the sense of the voice of God coming through it. I felt God speaking to me in that moment and wanting to release an, a clear sound in worship again, that kind of um, focused attention uh, that is intimate. Um, I'm not talking about, um, you know, navel gazing worship. I'm talking about the kind of worship that breaks something open over regions. And I feel like God is inviting the church, particularly in the UK and Europe, to be leading in that again. And it can come with great evangelistic breakthrough. Mm. That's great. That's exciting. Yep. So, yep. well, this has been fun having a great conversation with you, and thanks for that. Thanks and, for uh, having me. I really appreciate it. Well, appreciate it. it is always a pleasure. We don't do it often enough, so uh, we, we, we need to make sure we, uh, we, we don't <coughs> don't go too, too long before we're actually doing this. But also, yeah, feel free to pick my brains on some of the subjects we were talking about, and I'll feel free yeah. to pick yours. Yeah. And uh, I, want to, I want to pray for you, blessing upon the, your endeavour. So let me, let me do that. Father, I just thank, thank you for you. Julian and Katia. Thank you for the children. Thank you for that family. I pray, would you bless them beyond measure as you have been yeah. doing? I pray for heaven's wisdom and anointing to rest upon them as they establish uh, this church there in Boston, that they would be good news in that city. I pray Thank that you would establish it on that strong foundation of apostles and prophets. With all the gifts being released, I pray that they would become a mature church that would bless the nations. And I just feel this very much. I'm sure this is already true in your, your thinking, Julian, that that the table will be not just a table for Boston or just the USA, it will be a table for the nations. And I believe God's saying this, that he will, he will lay a feast out upon your table and uh, <clears throat> many will come and feast at your table. And uh, almost, I see it almost like a reciprocal, you know, you prophesied over us about having a Joseph anointing. I see, God, your table will be a feast for nations. And so far, we, we pray that into being. Let it be. And I pray, would you give them all the resources that they need and more than yeah. they would ever ask or imagine in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.